Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My name is Kave. I am the host of this humor-adjacent medical podcast, uh, which I'm still coming up with a catchphrase for. Uh, so if you have ideas, send them to me. Today, helping me as co-host, Kristen Flannery, the communication manager is at the University of Iowa's Bellin Bank Center for Gifted Education and Talented Development. <sighs> That's enough. Wow, what a title. Yeah, it's annoying. God, it's intense. It really is. It's too much. The show's much. over. That's it. That's it. That's, That's the right. show. That was the whole I'm, thing. That's what I'm we have done. time for. Sorry. Hi, uh, folks. <laughs> uh, Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's nice, nice to have you. You were, for our listeners who haven't uh, heard, uh, a previous guest. You came on. You talked about the stresses, the obvious ones and the not so obvious ones that caretakers for sick loved ones and, and family have to... Um, manage and, and deal with and that was a really important episode uh and i really appreciate you coming on uh the show again to help me deal with something that i i i'm going to admit right top of the bat i know nothing about i know nothing about finance right. i mean like, none of us do that's the problem it's really scary how little i understand yeah i mean i can tell by your your get up there that it's, money's maybe lower on your list of priorities so Cool. Yeah. Hygiene, money. <laughs> these are not things that are high on the list of a podcaster. Um, <laughs> can, can I ask yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something about adulthood. Mm, sucks. It, it, I, uh, do you feel like you're as mature as you thought you would be at this age? Well, see, here's the deal. I came out of the womb as like a 60-year-old man. Mm. So... If anything, I've I've gotten I've lightened up a little. Are you so, Benjamin buttoning life? Is that like kind of? I think so. I think so, I mean maybe not so much in my looks, I guess, but yeah, mentally and emotionally. Wait, no, for, for real? Do you feel like you came out like just an old soul? I did. I was like, 
worried about getting into college when I was a kindergartner. And that is not an exaggeration. That was just who I was. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I've wow. had to learn over the years, yeah, to lighten up and kind of live a little. I got that tattooed on me actually as a kind of a life mantra. Which is what, lighten up? No, live a little. Live a little, holy crud. Wait, seriously though, when you were that young, what's yeah. the story? Was There had to have been someone telling you that. Like no child independently worries about that your parents right. must have been kind of impressing that <laughs> well I think right? what they did was just like we had questions about okay so we go to school and there's elementary school and then there's this like junior high thing and then there's high school which you see on tv and that looks cool and then like what happens after that yeah so yeah. The, you know it was just like this nonchalant discussion one time about well some people go you know to work some people go to college and then go to work and pros and cons of the two. And I just got it in my head that like the college path was for me and I had better shape up and get my grades in order and make sure that my kindergarten transcript looked top notch. So I was a real nerdy little kid. <laughs> you were, holy crap. Good for you. Good for I you. I mean, was it? <laughs> do you feel, but do you feel like um, in terms of, not in terms of like what you've accomplished, you know, in terms of academics and professionally, but like, do you feel like uh, you're at the maturity you would have, I'll just tell you why I don't, I don't feel like I'm as wise as I should be by this age. I feel I should be wise. Mm. I'm great at my job now, better at it than I've ever been, that I've accumulated the amount of knowledge for that. Um, right. In terms of like my interpersonal relationships and in terms of like my own Zen and all this stuff, I thought I would have had this figured out by now. Yeah. My theory is we all kind of get stuck somewhere along the way at, at some age. Mm. And then we just feel like that forever mentally. You know, that's why wow. it's such a, a trip when we get old is because it's kind of this dissonance against our kind of self identity of, of how old we think we are and what we think we can do and you know where our sense of humor peaked which mine did at 13 year old boy so yeah holy I think shit we just get stuck that's mind-blowing and i think you're probably i think there's some truth to that um honestly where do you think you you leveled out what at what age I feel like you college yeah college was kind of my my peak growth period and it's just been all downhill from there probably marrying my husband had something to do with that i mean oh, that he was brought you down <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Uh, you know what? I think I was better in college because I think at college, I was yeah. still like, I was learning so much. There was so much exciting material flying at me. I was just trying right. to absorb everything. I was taking, I was sucking the marrow out of every moment. I was like right. trying to learn everything I could about everything. I was so excited. And then I got to medical school. Yeah. And this and happens to a lot of doctors. crushed your spirit and your soul. And well, you know, it, you're just. In, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Like, it wasn't actually, I mean, my college was hard. I mean, going to, through pre-med at Berkeley was like challenging, you know, it was yeah, like, there's yeah. cutthroat. So by the time I got to medical school, I was well prepared for it. But I will say this, like, I stopped doing all those other things, like working on myself right. as much, you right. know, because you, you had to just, Hobbies. right. You had to do so much stuff to get through medical yeah. school. There's so much, so many hoops and there's so much like material, sheer material you have to memorize. I had to like work on all that stuff. And then right. you kind of stop working on yourself at some point. That's why doctors kind of come out weird. If we're being honest. Yeah. All like, I mean, I think you maybe go in weird, but yeah, it doesn't help. Right. It's no, true. it doesn't, doesn't help. doesn't help the process. Well, I'm sorry. And you, oh, by the way, uh, for our listeners who don't know, uh, 
Kristen is married to a, a doctor, uh, an yeah. ophthalmologist who is uh, well known on the interwebs, who's also been uh, a guest on this show. Um, and is he is he a little jealous that now you and I are better friends than he and I are? Yeah, like he won't admit it, you, can, you know, but I can tell I know him well enough. He's like, oh, you're talking to Kyle? Okay, mm-hmm, cool. cool. I'll just cool. make care for the kids. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll go talk to the other guy, the other yeah, podcast yeah. guy. Yeah, no, friends. that's cool. Yeah, Look at no. all these friends on my phone. Oh, look, just out of range of the shot. All these cool friends <laughs> of mine laughing. <laughs> cool. Exactly. He'll get over it. Um, so for our guests, come on. Uh, uh, just I want to make sure that we plug everything that you have to plug. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, mostly on Twitter. Um, I'm Lady Glockham Flecken on Twitter at L Glockham Flecken. And if you can spell that well enough to find it, congratulations. It's worth uh, it's worth it, people struggle work through it and you will you will find it and it will be awesome that's true um we have two great guests coming up we have tyler olson and we have dr vivetta lobo they're going to talk to us about finance thank you so much to nadim for help with production and thank you to everyone who's written and reviewed us on itunes if you haven't already please do that follow us at the house of pod at the house of pod at Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. I'm so excited. We have two guests. They're going to teach me everything I want to know about finance. I'm going to tell you something. This is important. Doctors, as we were talking about before you guys came in, don't traditionally have a great grasp of finance. By doctors, I mean me. I don't. Um, We spend so much time learning medicine. uh, We don't really get a chance to learn it. And the doctors who did seem to learn about finance, present company excluded, tended to be like the weird libertarian conservative white dudes in that kind of creeped me out a little bit in medical school so like i think the rest of us don't really know much about it it didn't get a chance to learn about it so i'm very excited for our two guests first we have dr vivetta lobo dr lobo thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me i'm excited to be here uh dr lobo has a podcast called stocks for docs that's the number four stocks for docs you can find it at pretty much all the places you find podcasts and joining us, we also have Tyler Olson. Tyler, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your, your background here? What do you do? I'm a financial planner by trade, uh, but uh, I'll tell you my, what I really enjoy doing is trying to, fu- trying to provide uh, financial education to uh, medical students and residents. Um, you know, I, I can only do so much, but I try to extend uh, whatever education that I can uh, to anyone who will listen, because the earlier people learn about this, the better off they'll be. How did you find that niche? What, how did that happen? Uh, well, as a as a planner or advisor, there's a there's actually a a very sizable community of advisors on Twitter, and so I've I've hung out with them for several years. But then I started to notice that there was an even larger medical community on Twitter, and sometimes I would see medical students talking about their debt trying to figure stuff out, uh, residents talking about trying to manage their budget and worrying about what to do with their debt in the meantime and why all their friends who aren't in medicine are buying houses and they can't. And 
mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff that was bothering them. And I realized, I was like, I think I could be helpful here. Yeah. All right. Right on. Let's, let's start with some very basic stuff, basic stuff that is probably gonna be boring to a lot of listeners who already know this stuff. If, if that's the case, go ahead and fast forward a minute or two. But Dr. Lobo, will you explain to me, you know, we hear a lot about what it means to be investing in something that's pre and post tax. Can you explain that concept to us? Yeah, sure. So this is sort of, you know, your fundamentals, but basically you're talking about pre-tax or post-tax in an investment. And that's just mean when you get your paycheck, you get your paycheck with taxes taken out of it. So if you take that money and you invest it in anything, be it real estate, stock market, um, your Roth IRA, whatever it may be, that's a post-tax investment because you've already been taxed. You put it in and then your tax treatment after that kind of depends on what it is you're putting your money into. Pre-tax, however, is when you are taking out your deduction and you're investing in something before the, the, the government takes that tax dollars out of your paycheck. And so your classic example of that is like a 401k, which is an employee-sponsored retirement account, uh, where you know, if you are, if you're, if you want to contribute, say $5,000 and that $5,000 is taking out of your principal, your, your initial uh, income, say a hundred grand, and then you're only taxed on the remaining 95. So it kind of, you know, when you will pay tax on it, most of this at some point you can, you know, but it'll usually be a deferrent and you won't pay it till down the line. So that's just the basic nuts and bolts. It's not, it's not rocket science. So pluses and minuses of both. So if you're talking about a retirement account, I mean, it it's um, there's so you know well, the the classic ones that people talk about is your Roth IRA versus a 401k, and kind of those that's the biggest one of the biggest differences between them. I think it depends on kind of your goals and what your employer does. So if you have if you have access to a 401k and your employer does a match, for example, with a match dollars then that's essentially free money. So I would 100% take advantage of that and at least contribute whatever it is that they're matching because you're literally getting that for free. There's no other way to explain that. It's just free money. So I would definitely do that first. She's like, I can't make it any dumber for you, Kabe. <laughs> How can it's I, free. What more can I tell you? <laughs> Think of it like, you know, just money raining down on you. It's literally free money that you don't have to give away or give back. And so definitely take advantage of that. Um, if that's not an option, or you know that you don't have access to that, then I think a Roth IRA, if you meet the requirements for it, because there is an income cap. And if you are in medicine or if you're in a higher income bracket, and I think it's what the last time I checked was $124,000 for a single person filing taxes or 196,000, I believe, if you're joint um, filing jointly uh, as, a, as a couple. But if you meet the requirements that you can contribute to a Roth IRA, then I think it makes sense to Get your tax dollar, get, you know, pay your taxes off now, invest it in this account because now you're growing your money tax free. And when you are planning to retire, when you ever want to take this out, you are literally taking every penny in that pot. There's nobody else who's going to take a piece of it. And chances are you'll be at a higher tax bracket at that point in your life. So that's kind of how I advise people is just, you know, first is do your match, then maximize your Roth IRA if you can. Now you can only, you know, you can only put in six grand in a Roth IRA. Um, so that, that is sort of a caveat. And then if you still have some money, you know, maximize your 401k as well. So it just kind of depends on your situation and where you are in life. But 
the thought, the fact that you're thinking about it and you're kind of even considering doing any of this, you're on the right track. I feel real dumb right now, but that's okay. We're going to keep moving on. Uh, Tyler, what are three things that people get wrong about personal finance? What are the kind of three big dumb mistakes you see? I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is getting the wrong kind of insurance. Um, there's, is there a right kind of insurance? Well, I mean, the right kind of insurance, the ideal kind of insurance is that you don't buy any and you luck out and then you don't need it. Wouldn't that be great? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, unfortunately, and there, there's two major reasons why I think that that is a common mistake for a lot of people. Um, the first is that there are so many options out there and I'm, and I'm talking like the whole spectrum of insurance, um, you know, life, health, disability, um, there's just so much out there. And so being able to like analyze what the policies actually are and what you need is very difficult to be able to achieve. Like, like I'm in this business, but because I know a health insurance agent that can help me with my annual renewal. I go to him and I like ask him to help me walk through it because sometimes it's even helpful to just have someone else say the words to you. So you can like, you're not just like get lost in all the, all the paperwork. Um, so there's that it's very complex and there's way too many options. And the second is that the insurance industry is very sales driven. And so I spend a lot of time just constantly telling people don't buy whole life insurance don't buy whole life insurance and it's not to say that the product itself is never useful there are some cases where it's appropriate but i but it's very unique and it's almost like if you're wondering what type of life insurance you need you don't need whole life insurance that's the answer you would know it if you do but the insurance industry has gotten its way into residency programs and in schools. What is whole life insurance compared to other types of life insurance? Like half life insurance. What is whole life insurance? (laughs) Whole life insurance is is an insurance policy that you pay into as long as you want to up until when you die. Um, Age 100 is when they mature, which means that they are fully funded. An insurance company, they take your money and they will pay out a death benefit based on historically distant actuarial tables that basically predict the chances of me, a 38-year-old man in certain level of health, like what is the likelihood of me dying? This is how much your premium is. And you're going to have to pay this premium all the way until you, until you die. And then your heirs get that money. So the insurance companies have gotten the system figured out that they will not lose. Um, the difference between whole life and the other insurance that I primarily recommend is called level term premium is designed to just cover you, cover your life for a set number of years. And it's different than whole life because at the end of 20 or 30 years, you don't have life insurance coverage anymore. Um, the difference between those two is that in order to fund the whole life insurance, you have to contribute a significantly more uh, greater amount in order to cover the cost of your coverage because you're paying an average rate over the life of a person who is 38, as well as how old, what my risk level will be when I'm age 90, which is much higher. And so it's very expensive for a 
28, 29-year-old resident to be able to, to be able to absorb that cost. Um, that's, you know, and so whole life insurance has uses for later on in life, but there are more urgent matters that have to get cared for, for young people like good disability insurance, creating an emergency fund, getting into the habit of investing, investing so that you can start to like allow the interest that you earn to start earning its own interest. That's what compound interest is. It's like you're, you're building something that's going to earn something that you already earned. And that's why, that's why investing in a, in a Roth, like Dr. Lowell mentioned, is so important. And the earlier you do that, the more powerful it is. It's like, it takes off like a rocket after like 12, 15 years. It's unbelievable. And you can't capture any of that in a whole life policy. Sounds like whole life insurance is kind of like the house in Vegas. And then like <laughs> a Roth IRA is like Ocean's Eleven come in and. Wow. You know, I like it. Themselves. Wow. I still don't understand, but it sounds cool. <laughs> like it sounds like it's rigged for the house to win, you know? So I don't know. Um, no, I that Lo, Dr. Lobo does. Does uh, that ring true for you as well? And, and, and also, are there any other mistakes that you think the people generally just get wrong about finance? Uh, that's definitely true about insurance. I'm all for term insurance. Uh, I got my own term life insurance uh, a couple years ago. And I will put a plug, which like, drives me insane. But women have a higher rate. And if oh. you are a woman and because you can have a baby, that's really the only reason. Um, and so I suggest, I tell them, it's so all my residents when they're like, get ready to get graduated and they're trying to get their, figure out all their disability and their life insurance and all of that. They all get pissed off because they have like these higher premiums and their counterparts and they're way healthier than their male counterparts. Uh, but anyways, that's a, on a tangent. Um, you go girl. I don't care. Creating life, a liability in this. Exactly. Country. I'm okay. like, none of you would exist if it wasn't I, for that. Yeah. I think we're goddesses because I, we create life. Totally. Agreed. We are way tougher. I mean, you yeah. know, it just drives Look, me insane. Don't come to this podcast hoping to get some reaction out of me from that. I agree. We're not going to disagree. <laughs> I'm on board. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but yes, a mistake I wanted to bring up was, um, investing. So uh, investing in the public market. I, you know, I never did it for years and years as a resident, as a student, you know, I just, it was something that was so far-fetched. I'm like, I don't have money for it. And I know nothing about this. And I didn't come from a financial background and I was, I am not a nerdy white old man, like you mentioned earlier. So, you know, it was not part of my, my interest at all. But when I did learn it about eight years ago now, I was just shocked at how not hard it can be. If you keep it simple, it's actually not hard. And it's one of like the, the greatest wealth building tools that are out there. The public market can do, you know, if you know what you're doing a little bit and you sort of uh, set your rules, it's actually not hard to do. You can do it from home. You can do it on your laptop. It doesn't take a ton of time. It's free now to you know buy and sell. And not like before where you had all these high, you know, membership fees that you needed to maintain. And I just feel like people should, if they're, you know, that it's you should just get into it or consider it or look into it. It's definitely not that difficult. And like Tyler was mentioning, there's a whole market out there that's sort of telling you that you cannot do it. And I tell people, you, especially my healthcare friends, I, I'm like, you went to medical school, you went to nursing school, or you went to professional school, you are smart. You can definitely do this. This is not as hard as your day job. So 
Uh, I think people shy away from it unnecessarily. Amen. This uh, Amen. is a good segue. Sorry, Kavi, I'm kind of going out of order here, but it reminds me of a question I had, which is that, you know, women and lower income families don't often get the same kind of informal education or experience with finance and, you know, investing and wealth building and all of those things that like upper class white dudes get. No offense if you're an upper class white dude out there, but uh, what resources would you recommend for people from those backgrounds to be able to kind of play catch up and learn what they need to know? You're absolutely right. I mean, it's not something that any of us kind of gets taught while growing up. And I definitely did not get taught either. Um, I think we do live, you know, fortunately we live in a world where there's a lot of information out there that's for free. And, you know, the internet is honestly a good source. You, you know, there's a ton of free information out there on just, you know, if you, I, I, so I'm a proponent of what we call value investing and, you know, I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts, but I was interested in value investing because it was, um, it was a way to invest that was conservative enough for me and safe enough for me. So I just started like going on Google and reading everything I could about value investing and books. And, you know, I started looking at YouTube videos, started listening to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's uh, or reading their, their shareholder letters. And I kind of just taught myself, you know, and there's a ton of information out there. It's not difficult. It's a good place to start. Because sometimes there can be too much information. Like, like my topics. Well, yes, your podcast, obviously. Obviously. I'm just saying. For docs. <laughs> Definitely. I have lots of resources on my website. There's books and other uh, podcasts that are out there that do a lot of financial literacy. You know, but something as simple as, you know, if you have an iPhone and you have a, um, you have that app that comes on it with the, with the stocks every day, just look at it. You know, I, it's how I started actually. I just started looking at it every day and it kind of goes, you know, like every day tells you what the stock price for some of the biggest, uh, you know, companies out there. And then I started reading Yahoo finance. That was probably the, one of the earlier sites that I saw. And cause it's a lot of information that's on there. It's free. You can kind of just, you know, browse through it and, you know, you'll kind of pick up on the lingo and learn, um, this, the, the information as you go along, but it's, it's not my, my, my point is it's not as difficult as it's made out to seem to be. All right. One, one more question in regards to the, the basics. And that is, what does it mean to refinance and what advice do you guys have on refinancing? Let's start with you, Tyler. Um, refinancing what? Uh, I'm, I guess, housing, but <laughs> I'm not even sure. Okay. <laughs> what so, else can you refinance, Tyler? Any loan, any type of loan. So, I mean, we can cover, we can cover it all. I mean, refinancing is something that you decide to do primarily because you see that you took out a loan with a company and you agreed to an interest rate and now you could get a lower interest rate. That's usually the reason. Um, with homes, it's pretty fairly simple because if you're going to live in the house, for at least a couple more years, it often makes sense to do it because even if the bank is going to charge a fee to like redo the loan documents, they'll often roll it into the loan and you will absorb that cost and overcome it with a lower interest rate. There's like a break-even point where it's like a certain number of months after the fact where now you have your lower interest rate has overcome that fee and now you're just saving. Uh -huh. So for a mortgage, it makes a lot of sense to refinance. Um, it's pretty straightforward. But what I hear most often with refinance 
with you know regard to medical professionals is refinancing their student loans and that is trickier because if you are someone who's in the federal loan system where you're you're on like a, an income driven repayment plan or if you're in school right now and you don't even know what that is yet or you know and a lot of like even like a lot of residents right now who you know their intern year was either this year or last year like because of the covid relief there's been nothing it's just been a kind of, you know they they know their loan servicer it could be Navient, nelnet fed loans whoever it is you can't even get any clear communication from them it's now starting to come out now that they're saying okay we're going to start up payments and the question of should i refinance is something that comes out a lot because there's there there's a lot of push there's a lot of push to refinance from lenders because they get paid something and there are people in the medical community that also push this um just as a source of advertising but whether or not you should refinance or not really depends on if you are doing something like going for public service loan forgiveness or if you have a tremendous amount of debt and even though like you're in like emergency medicine and you're not going to be able to work for a nonprofit organization after training like i know people that like they've got like $550,000 in debt and it still makes sense for them to go for the 20 year loan forgiveness program if that you know or if they're in like pediatrics or something that's you know lower lower salary um it is really important to not refinance because then you lose that loan forgiveness opportunity but if you know i am not going for pslf and i do not need to take advantage of the 20 or 25 year loan forgiveness programs and i can sustain a higher payment amount then refinancing is a no brainer thing so we're talking about people that are they either if they're in training and their partner has a really high income or they're about to finish their training and are about to be earning their attending pay that's the time to look at refinancing speaking of timing when is the right time to get like disability or life insurance and what if you're spouse has some kind of a medical event, you know, just hypothetically speaking, like, I don't know, cancer and then some more cancer and then I don't know, cardiac arrest just for fun. Like now they can't get either of those kinds of insurance. What Doc do you suggest? For Dr. Them? Lobo's laughing, but I don't think she realizes this is a true story that we're that we're dealing I'm with. I'm assuming because the way she's saying it, I'm like, but she's laughing while she's saying it. So I'm like, and she's like, just for fun. I'm like, just for fun. <laughs> oh, it's one of those things where you have to laugh at it, or I it's know. Rude. I know. <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, yes. Lord. So for those who don't know, that is the story of my husband and I. Is he? He's. Um, he talks about it a lot. We both do on the internet as doctor and lady Glockenflecken. And he, yeah, he had cancer first at 27, then again at 30, and then a cardiac arrest at 34. So his chances of disability or life insurance are in the toilet multiple times over. That's tough. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a right. <laughs> Wait, so, so this is a two-parter. This is important because one, when's the right time for medical professionals to get disability uh, and life insurance? And then two, what happens if you're in a situation like this, Dr. Lobo, where uh, they are just not going to give it to you? What, right, what, what exactly. are the options? Some alternative options, maybe, because I think, you know, looking back on it, if only we had gotten 
disability and life insurance at 25. But what 25 year old is thinking about needing disability and life insurance? But exactly. it turns out that's actually when, you know, you need to be buying that because that's when you have the best chance at getting it. And I don't know, probably for for the cheapest amount, I would think. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a financial planner and insurance broker, but I can tell you that I am an ER doctor and I see this sort of thing all the time. Right. I mean, I see people on their worst day and they're young, old, um, babies. It doesn't matter. Uh, and so that's why I think it's a little personal. It's kind of more about personality and kind of you, um, as an individual and what your tolerance is going to be. Um, I know for me, because of my experience once, you know, once I started working, especially as an ER resident, I kind of very quickly started thinking about it. Um, cause you know, I had, I had loans and I had some debt and I didn't want that to go off to any of my next of kin or whatever. Um, and you know, I was married too at the time and I'm like, Oh, my husband's going to be stuck with all this and God forbid I get, you know, run over by a bus tomorrow, which could very happy, you know, very easily happen. So, um, so for me, I can tell you that, I, and I also heard, you know, it's, it's cheaper. And if you get term insurance, like we talked about earlier, it's not expensive or as expensive, you know, it's, um, less like mine is less than $200 a month, uh, which, you know, as a resident can be expensive. Sure. But in the grand scheme of thing, it's not terrible. Um, so I kind of feel like if. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better. Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You can swing it. Uh, and that's, and I still got that probably on the later side, um, especially as a woman before, if you're going to think of having kids, then I would say even, you know, prior your first pregnancy, um, would probably be the other thing I would suggest is, um, is, is doing it before that. Um, that brings up an interesting point too, that relates to what you said before, which is, you know, do you want to, obviously for your dependents, you want to have life insurance and disability before pregnancy so that if anything goes wrong, but sure. then on the other side of it, it are you more likely, I guess, like what you said before, you're more likely to pay a higher premium, but does that mean that after you're done having kids, you pay a lower premium or do you just carry that? It's just, you carry all it all the way through. Yeah. My understanding is you carry it. So whatever you start with is, is what you're kind of stuck with. So if you do it, at, you know, do it before you have, you know, you get pregnant and before you, you know, get your first diagnosis of anything and all of that, then um, you're, 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 you're gonna, your, your rate doesn't change when you go up mo for most policies. And again, I'm sure there's policies out there that that's not the case, but for most term policies, that's my understanding. So that's kind of the benefit of doing it a little early. Uh, I think with whole life insurance, it was, it's, too, it's very expensive, it can be. And so it's usually not, people just you know, didn't think about it because it was expensive. But now with 
term life insurance and, you know, people understanding what that is, I think it's definitely a viable option. And so I definitely recommend it to my trainees and junior faculty and all of that um, in, in my world that it's, if they can afford it, they should probably do it earlier. Tyler, do you have anything to add on that? Uh, yes. So the only barrier I see to uh, getting disability insurance uh, and the right kind of disability insurance too, like Northwestern Mutual, they sell disability insurance that is subpar. Uh, there's a couple other companies like uh, The Standard and um, Ohio National, and there, there's a couple others. But um, you want to get the right kind that is own occupation, that, that's a true own occupation disability policy. The only barrier to that, in my opinion, is high interest credit card debt. So if like an intern has that, I think that they should try to nail that down first. But as soon as they can reasonably afford the right kind of disability insurance, get it. it I mean, what you're doing is you're protecting years of learning. And like for a physician, like it's not just about like, oh, well, they have a high income, so protect it. They also have a, a shorter window in which to earn it. And so if you have that disability insurance in place, you are protecting like a snapshot of your health. And so during residency, I mean, it could be a physical um, thing that happens. It also can be mental illness. And insurance companies, what they do is they will look back on everything that's happened to you. And if you, you know, if, if you had any sort of issues, they will look at those things and they will exclude any sort of disabilities that result because of previously occurred actions or, or conditions. And so by getting it earlier, you're protecting that healthy snapshot so that when you move on to you know, your first job, even if the employer offers disability insurance, a lot of them are just covered for like the first couple of years. But like, you know, if, if you get permanently disabled, you need, you need income for longer than two years. You need something that is, you know, all the way up to age 65. And so getting your own policy is really important. Um, and then term insurance, I actually find like disability insurance to be significantly more important than term insurance um, because it's more likely to occur. You're more likely to be disabled than you are to die during a term policy. Um, not to say that term isn't important, it is. Um, but you particularly want to look at term when one, you have debt that your heirs would have to pay if you die. So if like you have a spouse who has co-signed your loans, or if you're on a mortgage with your partner and like, you know, they would, they would have to pay that mortgage. It's really good to be able to have insurance to pay that off, but then also have income replacement to be able to protect your loved ones who are, who are dependent on your income. Um, now, there are many, um, and you, you mentioned, uh, Kristen, about like, what if you can't get it anymore? Right. There are many, I've, I've met many people who are like unable to get what they need. And it is not an easy answer, but the answer is you have to create a plan to self-insure. You have to, and like I, like I hate to say it like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, just self-insure. Like that's easy. It's not, but you have to like, look at it. Like this is, this is what we have to do. We have to create a separate savings account that is for this purpose because we can't get all the protections that we need, you know, especially like if you've got kids and you're looking at like a 15, 20 year window in which your family particularly is vulnerable. If like income is lost, you got to look for workarounds, but that is very unique for every family. Um, so there are some solutions, but 
none of them are great. Moral of the story is get it when you're 18. <laughs> but and I'm never sure. get sick. <laughs> that's the key. Never Got it. Sick. God, that shouldn't be a problem in America. No. Famously not. known for not getting ill. Not at all. Um, Dr. Lobo, uh, question I have for you here. Um, in terms of someone like me who doesn't have a great you know, fund of knowledge when it comes to finance, one of the basic things I've always been taught and, and believe like emotionally in some level is that the safest thing is real estate in terms of investment. Um, do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like real estate is, is always a relatively safe investment? When is it prudent not to, to invest in real estate? What do you recommend in that regards? So I agree. I think real estate's a great option. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, it's been out there for a long time. There's, there's a lot of people who do it. There's a lot of information about it. There's a lot of physicians who do it really well and kind of go out and speak about it. So, um, and it's a safer bet for sure. It's tax favorable. You know, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, I think saying all that, I don't do it and I'll tell you why. Um, and I, you know, why I chose another asset class, which is stock market and the public market. And it's just about time for me. So I work full time. I'm a mom of three kids. You know, for me, the, the option of going out, trying to find a place, you know, I live in, a, in Northern California, so I couldn't afford to buy a second place out here anyways. I would have to go out to another part of the country to find something to, to invest in. And all of that, you know, it takes time. And then there's a management um, concern that comes out. Are you going to manage it? Are you going to hire somebody to management who's going to eat away at some of your costs? So I think when I considered all of those things, um, I kind of shied away from it uh, because I just felt like, uh, you know, and I looked at your returns that you can get and you can do really well on it. And, you know, it's still something that is not off the table for me. I just think for me in this moment in time in my life, mm -hmm. it's just not a good time. You know, maybe a couple of years down the lane when things are a little settled for me or something like that. But I never fault anyone who is into real estate investing. I think, you know, there's definitely, I just, I just spoke with someone recently who is like a guru in investing in real estate and talked about all the different ways that you can make very great passive income. I mean, you can make, earn money in your sleep, right? Um, just passive cash flow income, which is sort of the, the holy grail of, of trying to build your, your, your wealth in your portfolio. So you can definitely achieve that by real estate. There's also lots of ways now where you can get into it. You know, there's syndications, which are these companies sort of, or people that get together and they'll just take money. Sounds, from... sounds super mafia. What, <laughs> what is this? The their syndicates? What, what? Yeah, what's it's, going it's on? called a syndication. I know the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, wow. So, but basically it's like a couple of people get together who do this really well and they'll go out and they'll say, okay, there's just there's this apartment building that's on sale for $10 million and I can get a loan from the bank for seven and a half. So I need to come up with two and a half million. So they're going to go out and like crowdfund. I mean, crowds, like literally they'll go out and they'll start raising money from people like family, friends, and people who are interested in, you know, they'll say, okay, the minimum is 10,000 or 15,000 or whatever to get a piece of this. So they'll collect all the money, get to their two and a half million and then take it and invest and then buy that property. Sounds like an amazing way to lose friends. It really does. <laughs> you're buying well, not necessarily, right? Because then you're, you know, if it does well, then you make a lot of friends too. So it just depends. But if you're good at it and you can manage it, raise, you know, kind of raise the rent and they'll tell you, you know, there's a, there's, there's, it's a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or whatever. 
And then in five years, you know, the, with real estate going up the way, especially the way it's been going up recently, um, they're going to turn around and sell it at a, at a, at a higher cost and, or at a higher sales price. And then they give a cut to everybody who invested initially. And it can, you know, it's usually averages out to about 15%, which isn't, which isn't a bad return for five years. Um, let me switch topics a little bit to something else because I don't have that much time and I want to make sure I get a lot of these topics in. So let me switch topics to something real quick. NFTs. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm really excited for the moment. Like they completely fall apart and everyone realizes it's a ridiculous scam. And like the crypto bros that are really into it. Like I know it's dark and I shouldn't, but like there's a part of me that can't wait for that to crumble completely. Am I wrong for feeling that? <laughs> and also, am I wrong that it'll happen? Is it something that you guys actually think has legs and is, is going to be something that people are going to be talking about in 10 years, 15 years from now? Is it is it a game changer or is this just a temporary thing? Either no one, one of you can take this. <laughs> are, you, are you worried about the crypto bros coming for you? Don't worry. They don't listen to the show. I, I mean... Well, Dr. Lim, do you want to speak first or should I? <laughs> no, go ahead. I will give you my very unpopular opinion next. <laughs> um, so there is a lot of noise. Most of it is garbage. Um, there are opportunities to make money. Um, and like there, there have been in the, you know, the past 10 years and people definitely, there's proof of it, but um whether that decision was based in knowledge of something like solid is suspect to me. And so for many years, I have viewed it as very close to taking a gamble, which like, you know, on a, you could, you could make that assumption about a very, very small business that like your friends, like, Hey, will you help me? I want to get this off the ground. I've got this great idea. It's kind of wild, but you know, if it takes off, it could do really well. And if you did it and it does well, it's like, great. But in the moment, it was a gamble, right? And that's how a lot of these people are viewing it. Um, I think that most of the stuff that's going on around it, like <clears throat> NFT, uh, NFTs being bought and sold in terms of like making money, I think is something to be wary of. Even though I know people that have like bought and sold NFTs and made money, like I know like they have, and they're like, yeah, it's worked. And I know it's kind of like a crapshoot. See, there it is. See, it's a, they, they even see it as a gamble. Mm -hmm. But the underlying technology is not going anywhere, in my opinion. You're talking like, about the so, blockchain, the block. That's right. And okay. there are and there are a couple of there are a couple of uh, terms you may have heard, like Bitcoin and Ethereum mm -hmm. that are by design are much more sustainable than the majority of the rest of the noise. Like there's different coins that, that come out and most of them are scams. Some of them are even like those like pump and dump uh, schemes, like where the people that make it are doing it by design so that they can get their money out at a profit. They're definitely out there. But those two terms are something to take note of because there is some tech, there is some use cases for this technology. And I don't think that it is going anywhere. So I have, I've been, I've had like Twitter battles with, with some of the crypto people and even some of my colleagues who I, I mean, I respect them 
and they're very pro crypto. And I've had some very, very serious reservations from my perspective, because I'm a fiduciary. So I have to like, if I'm going to tell, like, I wouldn't even, I'm not even going to tell you or anybody be like, oh yeah, like go buy some Ethereum. Like, I'm not going to do that because what am I basing it on? Right. I have to get to a point where I'm going to have to decide, am I officially recommending this to the people that actually pay me as their fiduciary? That's a, that's a, something I won't speak to now, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of like riding that line. And so it's actually been something that's been bothering me. Um, but I have accepted that the technology is going to stay and it will have some use, but as far as investment, I don't, I don't have any idea what it's going to render. Gotcha. Dr. Lobo, what, yeah. what are you thinking? No, I actually agree a lot with what Tyler just said. Um, so the thing for me, you know, with investing, you know, I work damn hard for my money. And so to me, it's like, if I'm going to invest my money, I want it. I, I don't want to, I can go to Vegas and I can gamble, right? I get 50% and put it on black or red and I'll, I'll, I can take that chance. So to me, it's like, I wanted something. And this is when I was picking my options and I wanted something where it was low risk and high reward. And, you know, I, I have the patience for it. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And so that's kind of doesn't fit the crypto world, right? It's the crypto world is it's I, I don't it's not concrete enough for me. I don't I can't base it. I can't make a, an intelligent choice. Like when you pick a company to invest in, you can do financial background checks on it. You can research it. You kind of can see its history. You know, I pick companies that are solid blue companies that um, you know have a, a track record. So I'm basing it. Yes, investment is a risk, like like all investment, but it's a different type of risk than I think buying cryptocurrency because to me i just like tyler said i don't know what it's based off i don't know you know what like it's it's such a it's very arbitrary you know the fact that it can go from ten thousand to sixty thousand in a matter of weeks um and then fall again is just it's too much it's 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 too much of a gamble you know i'd rather just go to vegas at that point so for that reason i i have a really hard time with it as well um i know a ton of people who've made money and and I have too. I've 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 I bought like two or three Bitcoin a couple of years ago, just but I knew but I when I bought it, it was like I'm buying it for the experience to learn to kind of go through it. It wasn't money that if I if I did lose it, I was gonna you know I knew that I was gonna it's like going to Vegas. You're paying for the experience. So I think if you have that mindset, I agree. You should you know if you want to if you want to get a piece of the action and you want to kind of experience it, that's not a bad way to do it. But if you're gonna put your 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 life earnings and savings, I probably wouldn't do that. Um, so I think it kind of you have to pick and choose how you wanna how you wanna invest your money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So kind of on that note, like what? Oh, sorry, Tyler, did you have an add-on to that? Just that I think that it's important that if I think it's I think that it's sustainable enough from a technology standpoint that we all need to pay attention to it. We don't necessarily need to invest our money into it. But we do need to recognize, I think, from like even like a, from a career standpoint, not necessarily like everyone's career is going to be directly impacted by it. But I mean, even some people joke, they're like, "Hey, do you think, do you think that uh, Bitcoin fixes the EMR?" You know, they're like coming up with all these ideas of how it could like help people in medicine and like the system and stuff. We don't know all that it's going to do, but a lot of people are starting to compare it to the way that the internet started where it seemed like it was something like, oh, what is this? What is this going to be? And we don't know what it is, but I think it's good for us all to pay attention to it. Yeah. So that's kind of like 
not to be the millennial in the room, but you know, that it, that's kind hey, of my, has first been. of all, I'm sort of like, what's, <laughs> I'm not geriatric. What's, what's beyond I'm petrified. I'm a petrified millennial. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm curious. Go on. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm an older millennial that, you know, that one that's like an in-between the millennial. Yeah. That's kind of me. Too. That's me. But, uh, but kind of on that note, like what, do, what do you think then everybody's talking about NFTs and cryptos as kind of being the future of, of finance. So what, what do you guys see the future, like say the next 10 or 20 years of personal finance being, and most importantly, are we millennials going to get screwed again? <laughs> um, is your question what do I see the crypto technology doing in the next 20 years? Is that what you mean? No, or anything else. Just what do you see for the future of, you know, your field, the future of personal finance, the future of what's everybody, what should everybody be kind of thinking about and keeping an eye on over the next few years? I mean, as far as like personal finance is concerned, I feel like the, the future to make it as successful as possible is to recognize that we all have to advocate for ourselves. Um, like, I know it's, this sounds kind of like negative, but you know, it's because it is, is because no one is, you know, there isn't like a government entity or program that's really looking out for our future money needs. And there is not an industry, like I am in the financial industry and I can tell you, I've been in these conversations where they talk about doctors, like they're pieces of meat. Like this industry is not, it is geared toward just making money with every sector of, of society to try to get them to buy products and invest and manage money and all that stuff. So there isn't a consistent, there isn't a consistent uh, representation of advocacy from organizations, institutions, schools. Um, there are individuals that try to do really good things um, and some programs are really great, but ultimately it's on each of us and so education and trying to like, I, I think like as someone, you know, I've, I have a son now and I think about, about what I'd like to be able to teach him as far as finance is concerned, that anyone that is under our umbrella where we can help them, where we can like share what we know, that the future of like making personal finance more sustainable and where more people are not like, like, I don't know what the heck anything is about finance. It's like, a foreign language, the best thing we can do is to try to impart what we know to those that are that are under our care. And uh, if we do that, then those people, they'll have a better chance of being able to start off with, uh, you know, with the right foot. Um, and so like, regardless of what happens with technology or the world or anything, um, education, we got to lead with education. So which one of you is interested in putting together a curriculum for our K-12 schools? I can take volunteers. <laughs> oh, they can. There's a lot of information out there, but I will add to to just maybe just to narrow a little bit more from what Tyler said. Um, you know, there's a lot of asset. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of buzz about technology and electric energy and uh, healthcare and stuff. And I, I do, I do think that's all true. You know, I. Um, I think if you're looking to to industries or sectors. Uh, and if you're starting out, I would say, you know, come up with some sort of a strategy for yourself and say, okay, you know, my strategy, I'll tell you is 80, 20. So 80% of what I invest in is like, 
tried and true companies that are, you know, that have been out there for a long time. And I'm, you know, I know what I'm sort of getting into and they've a proven record. And I think that's a good way to start. Cause if you look back five, 10 years and they've got, you know, every year they go up in their price and their share price and they're doing well, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a good way to start. But then 20% is the growth stuff. And there's a lot out there. I mean, COVID, you know, did a number on the market and every, you know, so many things took off. Um, and we're sort of seeing a plateau in a lot of ways, but I think cloud and SaaS companies and uh, electric cars and energies, I think those are all big sectors that are only continue to grow because um, we've sort of, you know, exploded in that, in, in, in all of those areas in the last couple of years, especially with COVID. And so I think look to that, but the biggest takeaway, I think whenever you're looking at companies is pick things that you want to learn about that, you know, don't pick a company that, that you never want to read about and never want to learn about because it's just so outside your scope. Um, but pick something that's interesting to you either because you're a user, you use a product of theirs, you kind of know them like Apple or if you're a Mac person or something like that, or something you use in your professional life, right? So physicians, I say, you know, if there's a drug or pharmacy, you know, sorry, company that you use a lot, it just makes it more interesting to kind of stay on top of it and learn about it. So you know, those are, those are sort of my big takeaways when you're starting to get into this, but you, you want it to be a lifelong practice. And so you got to kind of keep it enjoyable to yourself. That's, that's great advice. But one question I have for you though, in terms of medical professionals investing in things that are medically related, do you feel like sometimes there's an ethical line there that could be difficult? I mean, there's a reason why I don't use protonics pens, even though it's a medication I'm fine with. It's just there are, there are certain lines that like I don't feel comfortable. It's also why I don't have sponsors. But like it's it's that's an issue, right? Don't you think that's sort of um, something that could be a problem? I hear I hear what you're saying. Um, I think if you are, I think that's that's that depends on how you're practicing, right? Like for me. If I start prescribing only drugs from Johnson and Johnson because I have all the stock in Johnson and Johnson, then yeah, I've crossed that ethical line 100%. I mean, honestly, I really don't invest in pharmaceuticals and healthcare all that much. It's a very small amount. So I know all the ultrasound companies out there and all the machines out there. And so now there's all this portable ultrasounds that are out there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of them have gone IPO and uh, have uh, have stock and I definitely have an edge in that I know a lot of, but I'm just knowledgeable about it, but it isn't one particular company that I'm invested in. Right. So I assess it and I treat them the same way. Like I do any other thing, but because of my circle of competence, because of what I know, um, I probably can assess it and I enjoy kind of learning and reading about it and keeping up to date. But I think that comes from my experience in my work and for somebody else, it would be finance. Like for Tyler, it might be banks or, you know, or something in his realm and his world that I am not as privy to, but I think as long as I'm not changing my practice and I am doing what's right, I think I can sleep well at night. Okay. All right. Well, um, okay. I, we probably should close out there. Uh, this was really helpful guys. I really appreciate um, all of you guys being here. Let's get some plugs in right now. Uh, Dr. Lobo, tell everyone where they can find you. Thank you. So yes, you can definitely check us out on our website. It's stocks, S-T-O-C-K-S for the number four docs, D-O-C-S dot org. That's our website. You can see all our podcasts, our blog on there. Um, and then of course you can find the podcast itself on any of, uh, any of the platforms or podcasts that are, um, are released. And so I hope you guys check us out. All right. And Tyler, what about yourself? Um, my, I mean, my website is, uh, is 
olsonconsultingmi.com, O-L-S-O-N, consultingmi as in michigan.com. Uh, but that's just for my paid services. Like where I'm usually found is on Twitter and I'm decided that I'm going to start building a video library for medical students and residents. So I start, I'm going to branch out into um, TikTok and then YouTube for videos that I can't quite squeeze into three minutes, but uh, I'm usually found on Twitter and my handle is O-L-S-O-N-P-L-A-N-N-E-R, Olson Planner. That's awesome. I mean, you should be very wary about being on TikTok. Only strange, strange men go on and make TikTok videos. Speaking of which. I know a guy if you need some. Uh, yeah. Kristen knows a guy. Um, Kristen, where can people <laughs> find you as well? Uh, you can find me on Twitter for the most part. Um, Lady Glockenflecken or at L Um I have an Instagram that I am trying to kind of, you know, get off the ground. But <laughs> what what is the pictures of? What do you what do you wait? What do you what do you do on your Instagram? What is it? Well, you know, not a whole lot just yet. But I'm hoping that it's <laughs> time to spend over there. But you know, in theory, um, I'm I'm you know a fairly serious amateur photographer, so I've always had that going on. But also, it's just you know on Twitter, um, there's there's good discussion. Um, but you're limited to just the little, you know, 280 mm-hmm. characters at a time. It, it seems like on Instagram, people are just like a lot more willing to read a long caption. And they're also just, I don't know if they're all on drugs or what, but it's just a very happy place over mm-hmm. there. And Twitter is like all of us old cynical people. So, you know, it just seems appealing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Time is limited, but um, you I'm going to go check you out. I'm gonna go okay. check you well, out. I'm gonna to look see right now. I'm very excited to see what you have. To see. <laughs> I want to see if you could slip in a couple of pictures of your husband doing like his TikTok videos. Yeah, I've thought about like doing like a whole behind the, the scenes, the scenes yeah. yeah angle because oh my gosh, I have walked in on some very bizarre scenes and just nothing <laughs> surprises me anymore. So yeah, I well, that there's some content there. Also, uh, I. Don't downplay that your Twitter is really great at L Lock and Fleck. And, and I, I really enjoyed following you there. So definitely follow um, Kristen there. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to listen to this episode probably like three times so I can learn something. Yeah, I hope you guys all learned something too. If you have more questions, let us know. We can always cover some of this stuff again. Thank you so much. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.